Tonight's scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, words that sound familiar and words that we will read again later this week. But I invite you to hear them this evening with ears tuned particularly to the reason we gather tonight. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went there to be registered with Mary to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no other place for them. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. My friend Taylor is a voracious reader. When she was a child, the only way to pull her out of her books was to actually physically put something between her eyes and the page in front of her. So when Taylor's first child came along, she couldn't wait to read with him. But when it came for that child to read all on his own, he struggled. And he still does. It's not fair. It's not for lack of trying. It's just the way it is for him. When he read his first chapter book all by himself, he was so incredibly proud. He wanted to show off his accomplishments, so they called me on FaceTime so I could see and appreciate his accomplishment in action. Taylor warned me in advance, he wants to impress you. He has been practicing for days. And he got off to a wonderful start. It was slow going and it was choppy and his fingers were leading him from one syllable to the next. He was concentrating fiercely, but he was doing it. He was reading me a story. But then he sneezed. And I know it doesn't sound like much, a sneeze. But when he sneezed, the book fell from his hands. And as soon as he realized this, his eyes filled up with tears. He tried to pull himself together. He picked up the book, but his concentration was gone. And I could see the words getting jumbled up in his eyes. He turned the pages back and forth, but it didn't help. And the tears fell, and he cried, I've lost my place. I'm so sorry. I tried so hard. But I have lost my place. It is hard. It is heartbreaking to lose your place in this world. There must be something you can do, she said. We've come so far. We've come all the way from Nazareth. We had no choice. We had to come. You can see that I'm traveling for two. There must be something you can do, she said. There must be some place we can stay. But apparently there wasn't. I wonder 
if you have ever lost your place. I still can't believe it, he said. He sat in my office. I could barely hear his voice. We only had three years together. How is that possible? She was only 34. I wake up alone every day now, he said. But I still can't believe it. It's like the whole world was pulled out from under me. Have you ever lost your place? Your reason for being, your compass in the dark, your dreams for the future? It's heartbreaking to lose your place in this world. I have so much more time now, she told me. I've been to my kids' basketball games. Next week, I'll go to an office party. It has been years since I could do that. There are Christmas gifts wrapped and under the tree already. It is absolutely amazing. Then why are you crying? I asked her, and she laughed even as she cried. She said, I took care of my mother for seven years. For seven years, all day, every day, I was a caretaker. I don't know who I am anymore. Have you ever lost your place? Your whole sense of self, your understanding of how the world is ordered, your one constant in the midst of change. It is heartbreaking to lose your place in this world. I don't know what to think anymore. She said, it makes me angry, it makes me hopeless. For all of my life, I believed in the inherent goodness of people. I believed that good would be stronger than evil and that justice would prevail and that maybe if we worked hard enough, I would see a little bit of it in my lifetime. But I'm no longer sure I can believe that, she said. Have you ever lost your place? Your belief in what is good? Your trust of those around you? Your sense of conviction? It is heartbreaking to lose your place in this world. And I just feel so guilty, he said. No matter what I feel, I feel guilty. When I'm sad, I feel guilty for being sad because everyone else around me is happy. But even worse is when I feel happy because then I feel guilty for feeling happy because my wife died. And if I'm happy, doesn't that mean I don't miss her enough? I don't know how I'm supposed to feel, he said, but everything I feel feels wrong. Have you ever lost your sense of what's right and wrong? Your confidence that you loved enough? Your confidence that you were loved enough? It is heartbreaking to lose your place in this world. They had come over for dinner. How are you doing, I asked. And they said, it's hard to describe. We're healthy. And we're thankful for that. We have each other, and we're thankful for that. We just thought there would be a baby by now, and there isn't. Nothing bad has happened. 
It's just the one thing we want most in this world. That hasn't happened either. And what are we supposed to do with that? Have you ever lost your capacity for hope? Or your faith in tomorrow? Or even your satisfaction with the present? It is heartbreaking to lose your place. And that had been made perfectly clear to them that there was no place for them. But note this well, that did not stop Jesus from coming. The time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them anywhere else. There are so few details offered here. The Bible is utterly inconsistent in this. Genesis spends many verses making sure we know the structural details of Noah's Ark, the type of wood, the dimensions, how the animals are to be arranged. Exodus takes it to the next level, dedicating more than two full chapters to the size and color and design of curtains that will surround the tabernacle. Luke himself promises a detailed report, the first words of his gospel, since many have undertaken to set down an orderly account of the events that have been fulfilled, I too decided, after investigating everything carefully from the very first, to write an orderly account for you, so that you may know the truth. But here in this moment, this orderly account of the truth is awfully vague. We know there's no place for them, there's no room, but how did they end up in a stable? Was a door quietly propped open? Or did someone have a change of heart? Or did they invite themselves in, trespassing on the verge of giving birth? We don't actually know on this, as with so many other things. Scripture is silent. But over time, I have become grateful for that, because in this moment, at least in this moment, those details don't matter. In this moment, those circumstances don't matter, because God is coming into the world. That is all that matters. God is going to show up when God is going to show up, and if there is no place, God is going to make a place because that is what love does. Love makes a place. He was born in a stable because there was nowhere else to go and because love makes a place. He touched lepers and healed the demon-possessed. He hosted a banquet and invited the poor in right off the streets because love makes a place. He invited extra workers into the vineyard and he found a way to compensate them because love always makes a place. He sat down to dinner with a tax collector because the man was lonely and didn't have a community and love makes a place. He welcomed back the prodigal son because love makes a place. And then he welcomed the grumpy brother to the celebratory feast because love makes a place for everyone. 
He looked at two criminals hanging on a cross right alongside of him, and he said, Today, you will be with me in paradise. Because even in our worst moments, even in our rock-bottom moments, love makes a place. And in his last conversation with his dearest friends, he gathered them around and he said, Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. Because in my Father's house there are many rooms, and I am going to prepare a place for you. Because, and you're starting to see, right? Love always makes a place. Now, grief is a different story. Grief has terrible manners. And guilt is a messy house guest. Regret has too much laundry. Fear interrupts every conversation. And loneliness doesn't know when it's time to go. But even if these are your companions this season, Jesus opens wide the door because no matter what, no matter how you come, no matter what has happened, love makes a place. It starts at Christmas when there was no room whatsoever for the Savior of the world. But the Savior of the world came anyway. And I think what this means is that Jesus is always being born right where he's needed most. And what this means is that we are being saved precisely when it feels like we have lost our place. So maybe what all of this really means in the simplest terms possible is that despite all evidence to the contrary, I promise you, no matter what burden you are carrying, there will come a day when everything really will be okay again. The promise of all of this starts at Christmas. It starts at Christmas when the only thing that Jesus can possibly ask of us is to come close and adore him. Because that's actually all a baby can do. Look at you as if to say, aren't I the most magnificent thing you have ever seen? Come close. Take a good look. Come close and see my face that is full of love. So come close. Come close, all ye who are faithful, and all ye who are frightened. Come all ye who are hurting, and all ye who are healing. Come and behold him who is born the king of angels. Come and speak to him, or come and be silent beside him. Come with your empty hands and your broken hearts. Come when the world doesn't know what to do with you, or when you don't know what to do with the world. Come when you have nowhere else to go. Come to him. Come and adore that little child born in a manger because he is making a place for you now. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray.
Amen.